all with the Shadow Minister for Arts and Industrial Relations, Tony Burke. Uh, this is the first time we've tried this, so I'm going to say in advance, I'm sorry if we do anything wrong, but we'll fix it as fast as we can. Uh, and we know there's been a lot of people expressing interest about joining us today. Uh, and this is how you do it. You watch and you can send us a question. If you just type a comment into the feed, that will get to us and we'll work our way through those questions. But first, I want to welcome Tony Burke. Uh, Tony, thank you for joining us. Hey, Susan, great. This is my first time on this platform too. So it's the production values where we're working on them. Indeed. Um, I have I have said to Tony, if there's time, I might ask him to pick up a guitar that he's got handy and play. But we know the rule is we don't ask Tony to sing. Is that right? I can chant oi to almost any tune. So, um, look, the... Hopefully, we'll we'll you know have a have a bit of a laugh tonight. But it is pretty serious business in thinking about what's happening in the arts. And you and I have been talking about it right from the start of this pandemic. Um, I, in terms of giving people some background, I mean, we've Labor's obviously been very outspoken, but you're also really passionate about the arts. I'm really passionate about the arts, and I've been living the experience that. Many artists, musicians, writers, stage and crew, uh, administrators are having, because I've got two kids in the arts. Um, one's ended up on JobKeeper, one in, has ended up on JobSeeker, uh, but both of them saw their whole world just collapse in the course of a weekend. Every possibility just ended. And so that gave me a real sense of what a lot of people have experienced and many have shared their uh, experiences with us across the Blue Mountains and the Hawkesbury. Um, and I just thought I'd touch, get, get you to touch on what you've seen happen. And you were very outspoken right from the start about the arts. It, it hit, you, you picked it up fast that that sector was going to be really badly affected by the pandemic. So talk to me about what you saw and why you've, you've been so outspoken. Look, in the the lead up to when the government was first talking about possibly bringing in restrictions on large gatherings of crowds, uh, you know, Coachella and a series of other festivals around the world were announcing that they weren't going ahead. And all the conversation was about what would happen to people who'd already bought tickets or what would happen to people who, um, you know, who'd organised their travel. Uh, and people were missing the point that there were a whole lot of workers who were watching their livelihood disappear. And so when the Prime Minister stood up and for good health reasons made the announcement, but made the announcement that gatherings of more than 500 and outdoors and gatherings of less than 100 indoors would all be banned. The press conference took about half an hour but for a whole lot of workers, they watched half a year's work disappear in that half hour. Uh, and as it's gone on, it's, you know, it's pretty clear it'll be more than half a year's work for people who rely on those sorts of festivals. And I guess, I guess what struck me, Susan, was I've, I've always tried to win the argument largely on cultural terms, uh, on the fact that with the arts, you know, it's how we understand our stories, uh, how we understand each other's stories, how we understand our own sometimes, uh, how politics in so many ways we're trying to affect how people feel 
and the arts you know if it's a if it's a narrative it'll take you through a roller coaster of how you feel exactly as the artists have planned if it's a song it'll grab you by the second bar if it's a piece of visual art it'll grab you by the first glance and i've always tried to win the argument for funding and support for the arts based on that essential nature of our culture our heart our soul however you want to describe it what struck me though at this moment and it's still the case is a whole lot of people including our key decision makers in the country haven't registered that those people who provide all of that lift are also workers um you know who work hard who have trained hard who practice their craft constantly uh and it goes across the board uh, whether you know someone's a performing artist, whether someone's road crew, whether someone's in promotions, uh, whether someone works in security, uh, you know, trying to make sure that you don't get in unless you've got a ticket. Wherever people are in that, they're all workers. And I guess until now, it hadn't occurred to me that not only were some elements of the government rejecting the cultural argument, they were rejecting that the people we're talking about are even workers. And I, I've been stunned as I've gone through my Facebook feed on different speeches and comments that I've posted, where you'll get people cl claiming, oh no, it's a hobby. You know, yeah, me playing guitar, that's a hobby. Uh, somebody constantly practicing, somebody writing, creating, performing night after night, no matter how they feel, uh, giving their best work on their toughest day, uh, that's a job. And yes, there's a whole extra layer of it that makes it a deeply, deeply special and powerful job. Uh, but it's also a job, it's also a livelihood, a whole lot of people who work hard and they haven't gone to no income because they weren't commercial or they weren't up to it. They've gone to no income because of a, an active decision of government. And I do think that puts a higher obligation on us to make sure that people aren't, aren't left without support. And so I just presumed when all of this happened, uh, and I don't like to think of myself as naive, uh, but I, I had been naive. I presumed that even a government that had done the Brandis cuts and the different things that they'd done, that at a crisis like this, they would come forward with a rescue package. And I hadn't defined what it had to be. I just kept saying, there's gotta be a package to help this sector through. Uh, and we're now months into it, and it's pretty clear they're intending to do nothing. Um, and you know, and, they've and even that, sorry, yeah, you go. Oh, I was gonna say, and that's really horrifying for an electorate like mine, where, um, up to you know, one estimates eight percent, but it could be as high as at least 10 percent of the population is employed in this sector in some way or another, uh, and so to see the whole sector just ignored, uh, and in fact, in question time last, last week, to see Josh Frydenberg say, oh, well, they can get job seeker. And you know, it was kind of like, they should be grateful for that. It was really the dismissal of the sector was very disappointing for me. Yeah, and it, look, the government introducing a wage subsidy is a good thing. We argued for them to introduce a wage subsidy. The Prime Minister mocked us for arguing for it, and then eventually they did it. Uh, I'm glad that there is a wage subsidy. 
But if you wanted to design a wage subsidy to draw a circle or a fence around everyone in the arts and entertainment and creative sector, this is how you design it. Uh, because yeah, the full-time work, yep, there'll be some people, particularly in admin, but in a series of areas where they are full-timers or they are part-timers. Most people though, are employed gig to gig, event to event, show to show, festival to festival. And the 12 month casual rule just knocks them out, That's completely right. knocks them out. Uh, and even the presumption, because a lot of people have said, oh, well, that means job seeker. There's a lot of people in the industry where job seeker doesn't really work for them either. It'll work a bit, but this is an industry uh, that is hopeless at paying people on time absolutely hopeless at paying people on time so you know an actor will get a check for a modest amount of money for work they did six months ago in voiceover work for example uh, or an event that they emceed uh, or a musician will get something uh, for a gig they played for someone else's band uh, or a session musician work or whatever they did and it'll come months later so what will happen with job seeker even if people can qualify, they're going to find themselves bounced on and off uh, as different other payments come through. It's, it's, I can't imagine a more difficult way of designing it for, for this sector. And I can't imagine a more disrespectful way of designing it than one which just says, look, for these workers, keeping a relationship with an employer yeah, isn't a priority. Yeah. One of the points that you've made and Albo's made and I've made is that the very group we're talking about are the first to step up when there's a disaster of some sort. And we saw it in the bushfires. And in fact, we saw in our community the artists, the lovers of, of art, getting together to do stuff to support a community that had been hit by bushfires. Yet here they are, so some you know, dismissed so quickly. So it does, what you're saying really does resonate, I think with our community in particular. Well, um, yeah, now, I mean, for, oh, sorry. Yeah. I, I was just going to say with the <laughs> with the bushfires that, yeah, and when we hold those big fundraisers, we never ask the security guard to work for free. Uh, we we never ask the, the caterers or other people to work for free, or sometimes we might, but generally we don't. But almost without exception, they ask the artist to work for free. And one of the things that has worried me during this time, yeah, I've, I've loved, I've got to say, watching a whole lot of my favourite artists uh, perform from their lounge rooms on Spotify, on um, Instagram and those different festivals that have been on. Uh, but I do worry the amount of content that's out there that people still aren't getting a cent for. And I appreciate that, you know, people are loving keeping their relationship with their audience. Uh, but I don't want us to get used to some concept that you can get something as high quality and professional as that uh, without the person being remunerated. Yeah, yeah, I look, I, I think that is um, one of the age old things. People who love what they do um, so often will do it for the love of it. Now, we've got a bunch of questions that are coming through um, and I'll look, they might not be in any logical order, uh, but let's let's start with a couple. Um, so Justin- That'll be like our question time. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Except none of these will be Dorothy Dixes. <laughs> um, so Justin's a playwright and, look, he makes the observation, 
it seems to me that the public have a great appetite for the arts and an ardent respect for artists, but governments don't reflect this in their policies or their application of funds. Um, so it's really picking up on the, what you were just saying about the expectation that it's there for free. Um, what are the implications of that sort of thinking as we move forward and look at, at the government, government's policy or lack thereof? Look, I, I think it's always fair that for any level of spending on the arts, you'll be able to find really good quality work where more could happen. I think that's always the case. I think it's also true, and yeah, I don't want to overdo the partisan, um, but we have been in a different situation since the change of government in 2013. Uh, when those Brandis cuts came through uh, and the money that it all rolled out with Creative Australia got cut right back, uh, it makes a difference on the ground. If you're not paying artists to create stories, uh, and create you know the moods and the work that that reach out and touch us then it gets created in smaller amounts and there there is a partisan difference here uh what's happening for the art sector now you know i can't without departmental advice tell you chapter and verse um dollar by dollar what the difference would be but the concept of a labor government not having a rescue package would have been unthinkable i mean absolutely unthinkable and you only have to look at states like Victoria uh, to see that while it, it still needs a federal response, the artists there are in a, in a better position to in other places. Um, so it, in answer to, to that question, I think it's fair to say that I've never seen a government do as much as I would want, including governments I've been part of. Uh, but there is no doubt at all there is an objective difference between the parties on support for the arts and for artists. Uh, and I right know. at the moment, because I want people to be doing well, I wish that were not true. Uh, I'd give up the partisan divide on this in a, in a heartbeat if we could. Yeah, yeah. Um, now I'm going to just do a shout out to Simon Burke, who's very kindly just uh, popped up into his network saying, Susan Templeman and Tony Burke are talking art, so jump on and have a chat. Simon was the speaker at my daughter's acting graduation several years ago and, and what a generous man to, to young actors getting their start in the world. Um, okay, so we've got questions around really And he's not related. not related, not related. Not related. I know, you should claim him. He might not want to claim you, but you should claim him. I um, claim him as a cousin any chance I get, but it's not true. <laughs> A lot of the questions I'm getting through are about the future, so uh, about about how we see this panning out, and this goes to the anxiety people are feeling. So uh, from someone involved in Blues Music Festival, Tony, when do you think or has the government given any hint to you when some sort of normality for big gatherings will happen? Um only that it'll be the second last thing we get back to. So the the, the last restriction will be international travel. Uh, the second last, by all accounts, will be large gatherings. Um, now, how long that takes depends on how we do on social distancing, I think is uh, the honest answer. Um, up until now, we've done better than had been anticipated. Uh, and that's why we've seen the, the scenes that we saw in the Northern Territory over the weekend. Um, but, you know, even in 
uh, New South Wales and Victoria, where there's still a lot of cases, we've still done better than had been anticipated. Um, now, that means we're closer, but at the same time, with restrictions easing right now, yeah, I ideally hope that they haven't let the restrictions go too early. Um, like they've said, there will be more cases. I hope there's not a spike, uh, because if we can continue getting those numbers right down, then it does become possible uh, to look at these events again. Um, but you know, there are some festivals that have talked that are scheduled for around September, I think, that have started talking about you know they're doing their planning. I think we'd be lucky. I think we'd be lucky. Um, but I I hope we get there, and I'm certainly not talking it down. Um, look, here's another interesting question uh, about dance studios and performing arts studios which we have a lot of in in the area there's lots of kids who dance but of course they've been lumped in with gyms and and uh, quite a long way down the, the path before they're going to be able to be open and this um i don't know if this is a dance teacher who's um giving asking this question or a mum but we've got children struggling with their mental health as their outlet and safe place has been ripped away and they're confused they can go to school but they can't be in a controlled space of a dance studio uh, so they're they're a, that's a different part of the sector it's all part of the challenges that they're facing uh any any thoughts on you know yeah and look well so while it's a different part of the sector in terms of the employment arrangements for a dancer, uh, it's often all meshed. Uh, you know, the, the performer is the teacher um, and the, it, it crosses over in a, in a very big way. The, whenever the sector is described as ecology, I think that's uh, the closest we can ever get to being able to map it out properly. Uh, Look, the, I forget which of the stages of stages one, two, and three where dance studios landed. I, I just don't carry that in my thoughts at the moment. But basically, wherever someone is in those three stages, I don't think that will shift. Uh, that national cabinet uh, agreed on that uh, in terms of the order in which they would do things. Um, and let's not forget across those three stages, they, the festivals didn't make it into any of the three, um, but your dance classes do. Uh, and so it'll simply be the pace at which we move into the different stages uh, will determine that. Um, but I don't think the the order in which things are gradually released will will change. Um, so I, I think it's stage two, but I, I'm just not 100% sure on that, so I don't want to commit. Yeah, as a long-time dance mum, I can only imagine. Uh, there's lots I've of videos. I've suddenly lost on... you. Oh, you've lost me. How's that? Okay, I looks like Tony's connection might be. Do you want to speak, Tony, and see if we've got you? Yeah, okay, Tony's got no sound. There has something had to happen. It, you know, we don't have a proper technical crew. This is why, and we haven't got sound coming from Tony either by the looks of it. Tony's going to take a, take a, go and check, check his earpiece. Here we go. How's that? No, we've got no sound from you. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm going to text. I'm going to text Tony and tell him that we have no sound. Didn't I say something? It wouldn't be a show if something didn't go wrong. Uh, 
Okay, so we've got mad texts happening here saying um, no sound either. So check your phone, Tony. Hopefully someone's looking at his phone. <laughs> I might just have to ask the questions and answer them. I think Tony's going to have a go at, at getting back on. And I'm going to turn to my technical person, Jack. So is he going to try and reconnect, do we think? Yeah. We've got no picture now either. So we'll, we'll if we um, take him off and let him reconnect... So you just got me. Now, while you're sitting looking at this, I just want to point behind me and show you this beautiful local work of art with my head in it. This is by Greg Hansel, a Hawkesbury artist, and that's one of the beautiful sweeping bends in the Hawkesbury River. So there you go. There's a little bit of insight into what's in my, what hangs on the walls in my office. And Tony Burke is ready to join again. And Jack's going to show me what I do here to connect Tony. <laughs> here we go. We've got him back. Hello. There he is. Welcome back. Thank you, Susan. Um, I'm sorry. Thank you, everyone. I got to show off my the painting behind me by Greg Hansel, a local artist. So there you go. Okay. Well, that was interval. Yeah, that's right. With without the having to go, being able to go to the bar and get a glass of champagne or some Maltesers. That's right. Um, but if people are doing that at home, good on them. Yeah, that's right. Um, okay, uh, a bunch of questions. Do you believe this is from Nat Natasha? Um, do you, do you think there's any way there could be support for arts teachers who've not been able to access JobKeeper? Well, we've been fighting for a lot of more people who really should be on JobKeeper rather than JobSeeker to be there. What is your sense of, of any success we might have on that? Because we haven't, we tried really hard last week. Yeah, there's, there's sort of, there's an optimistic bit of this and a pessimistic bit of it. The optimistic bit is the legislation that went through, uh, this isn't in the last sitting, it was a single day um, a few weeks back when we let the JobKeeper ledge through. Uh, that legislation didn't have the rules in it. It basically was a shell that gave permission to Josh Frydenberg to write all the rules. So what that means is the power is there for this to be fixed at any point. Uh, and Josh Frydenberg literally, with the stroke of a pen, can fix any of the anomalies that are there. Uh, that's the optimistic bit. The pessimistic bit is so far, the only main way that he's revised uh, the initial rules has been to exclude people. So when the universities found a way to become eligible, he changed the rules to knock them out. There's been some that have come in, but not many. Um, and it's not like they can't afford it or haven't budgeted for it. I mean, the, um, you know, the, the program itself uh, is well below what had been budgeted for in terms of the, I, I don't like saying the demand because the demand's there, it's just there from people who aren't eligible. Um, and there are also, and the government hasn't told us yet how many people, but a significant number of people who instead of a wage subsidy are getting a wage multiplier, um, which it's not it's not their fault um, and they're, they're taking it. There's no other way of being in the system. Uh, but I don't think anyone expected 
that you know if they had a once a week shift that was earning them a hundred dollars that they'd suddenly be getting seven hundred and fifty dollars uh and you know a reworking of that would fairly easily provide a way for a whole lot of other people to be into the scheme um and the I think it's worth getting right back to the first principles of why it matters for people to be in job keeper rather than job seeker. And it's because in job keeper you're on the payroll. In job keeper you are you have that relationship with an employer. Uh, and on the other side of this there'll be a lot of businesses that will have fallen over. Uh, on the other side of this you know, I wish the snapback thing were possible, but the government's not doing what you would need to do if something like that were going to be real. Um, and anybody who has kept a relationship with an employer during this period is in a, they're in the box seat to be able to get shifts as we come through to the other side. Uh, just while we're on JobKeeper, I mean, it has been good for, for um, a whole bunch of people. But there is real worry about what happens when it ends and if the government changes what it's going to do. Uh, and that, you know, that sense that we're, there'll be a cliff that, that people fall off. Um, in, in terms of musicians by then and artists and uh, performing arts, we may not be in stage, beyond stage three uh, by September when all of that starts to happen. How worried are you about like what the plan is? Because I'm not, I can't see a plan by the government. Well, what they claim is their plan, I just think cannot possibly be true. Uh, I don't see how you can have the hard cutoff date where suddenly every industry is told, yep, you're good again now. I don't see how that works now obviously this is a problem that will only arise for people who made it on a job keeper um the the cliff is less relevant i guess for a whole lot of for a whole lot of people who haven't even been allowed to get onto the road uh to drive towards the top so there's a a difference for, for a lot of people in arts and entertainment but for people who are in job keeper i guess the the best way of describing it is um, say the restaurant that is doing takeaway during this time, but a whole lot of their fixed costs haven't gone away. And JobKeeper means effectively they've absolutely minimised their wages bill. Uh, now, when they come out of this and they're able to gradually have more patrons, initially it won't be a full restaurant. It'll be smaller. It'll it'll take its time. Uh, they won't be back on the margins that they used to be and they'll have a whole lot of debt that they didn't used to have. Now, in that situation, if you just tell them to snap back, a whole lot of those businesses will fail. And at that moment, I'm not sure what the point is keeping people with a relationship with an employer for six months if you then intend to knock over the business at the end of the process. And that's why I, I hear the government's rhetoric. I just don't see how they can hold to that. And in terms of job seeker, the unemployment projections, uh, you know, they haven't set not just any month, they haven't set any year where they think we will get back to unemployment levels that we used to have. Um, and, you know, I, th I think once and for all, they've got to acknowledge $40 a day was never enough for people to live on. Yeah. And in our region, if, you, if you've chosen to live in the mountains or the Hawkesbury as 
uh, as a creative, if you do rely on a secondary income of some sort, it's most likely to be tourism or hospitality. And of course, it relies terribly heavily on international travel up here. So, you know, we've got this compounding effect plus the the fact that we were already in a downturn because of the bushfires so yeah we're all hearing the economic challenge of that but there's also the the um, mental health challenge there's been some announcements by the government about mental health stuff we've been um, really pleased to see the support act um, additional support but that is a huge issue for us as an opposition to really tackle and keep badgering the government to provide the supports that are actually needed to get people through what's a really difficult mental time. Yeah, Support Act is a really good organisation and uh, a whole lot of people watching won't know that Susan is the person who organises the Labor Party for uh, your band T-shirt day for the Support Act fundraiser each year. Um, so, yeah, we've we believe really strongly in the organisation and a whole lot of mental health services uh, don't operate in a way that works with the performing arts. Uh, Support Act traditionally won't be known by a lot of the creatives outside of the music industry. Um, they, as a result of some government funding that we called for that is there, that's good, uh, they're now expanding themselves beyond just the music industry. So that's important and that will help. The other thing, though, that really needs to be done, and Chris Bowen's been calling for this, is for the number of mental health consultations that are capped at 10 to go to 20. Uh, that was done for the bushfires, uh, but it's going to be need to be done in this situation as well. I've, I've noticed a few different friends who I, I check in on who have fallen through the cracks during this time, and they're all still doing okay, but... Each conversation has been more difficult than the last, uh, and we've still got a lot of months to go. So the increase in the number of consultations is going to be really important. And the other thing that we've all got to watch out for, for those we care about, um, is people will, will seek treatment later than they normally would, uh, mm -hmm. simply because the human contact's not there of people reminding them that they should. So that, that casual checking in that we're all doing at the moment is probably as critical uh, as some of the things we're calling on government to do. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. Governments don't have all the answers on that. Okay, I'm gonna try and get through some of these fantastic questions. Uh, one, this is a very practical one. Liz is curious whether a part-timer on, on uh, job seeker, I think she means job keeper, can be made to work extra shifts to bring them up to the 1500 limit? So a very practical question. No. Can it... no and the answer is no. Um, they, the employer can ask. Uh, and if you want to, if, you know, some, some people will want to do the extra hours, just, you know, I'm, if, if I've got an excuse to get out of the house at the moment, I'm taking it. <laughs> so some people will want to, but as a condition of employment, the answer is absolutely not. Um, that the decision to pay people more than they'd ordinary, ordinarily earn is a decision that the government has made. It does not give the employer suddenly a whole lot of extra rights to uh, have people working shifts that they ordinarily wouldn't have worked. Yeah, um, uh, if there are ways that people can be cooperative, yeah, we're asking everyone to cooperate in different ways, but but not on the terms in which that was just put. 
Um, now, just while we're on, there's a couple of comments saying, please don't let Job Seeker go back to what it was. Well, of course, we're not in government. We can't actually make them uh, do that. But we've certainly um, said we believe it needs to be higher than it was, as you've said. Um, but there's also a question about would Labor see a benefit in adopting, adopting a universal basic income in support of, to support individual artists as a, as a way of providing that support? There has been discussion about that. Your, yeah. Your yeah, and look, it's come up in, in groups that you've organised for me in the mountains previously, Susan, as well. It, it's one that comes up each time. Um, my preference whenever there's funding for artists is to be providing funding for specific creative work, uh, for events, for venues, um, for the, the, the space and opportunity for people to do writing and things like that. I've always preferred that the funding uh, be linked to the the specific outcomes uh, rather than being done in the universal basic income way, which then means that you end up funding, when you do it that way, you end up funding some people who uh, are really doing well. Uh, and I just don't think you're targeting the, the government money as well as you might. And the better you target it, the better outcomes you get both for artists and for everyone. Now, here's a completely different topic, and this is about the practicalities of the new normal with COVID-19. Phil asks, how will a production cope if a cast or crew member tests positive for COVID-19? Do we see the whole thing will have to shut down? And, and he's also got questions around um, the viability of theatres only being able to take, say, one that seats 750, only being able to take 130 people. Uh, under social distancing rules. So this whole issue, viability and practicality, what are your thoughts on, on theatre going back? Yeah, look, at the moment, we don't know the answer to these questions and some of it will depend on the extent to which we get close to eradication versus the extent to which the virus is going through the community. Uh, so there's, there's some health considerations that we just don't know the answer to yet. Um, I can... I can provide sort of different sorts of options, but whether they're where the government would land or not, I just don't know. No, and it's really good to be hearing the sorts of thoughts people are having on this because they, yeah. it's almost, I think it's great that we're thinking about um, what happens next. A couple of months ago, we we weren't even turning our minds as, as individuals. We were just going, oh my goodness, how do we survive this? Um, but the, the spirit is strong in the arts community and they're, you know, trying to be creative about how can we get things back happening and how would it work and what would we do? I see that as a positive. Oh, it is. And, yeah, can I tell you the the moment that we're able to be shoulder to shoulder inside a packed theatre um, or jumping up and down in time at a, at a music festival, it's, it's going to go off when it happens. It really will. Um, and so thinking about it and working it through, I think, is really important. The... You know, the, the example that was given of the, the large theatre where, you know, it's every second or third row and, you know, every every two or three seats then have a gap before the next. What that would probably mean, I expect, is we'll get some shows with smaller casts um, because, you know, traditionally if it's a one-person show, for example, they're often done in much smaller theatres uh, and for things to be commercial, they're going to have to be in larger venues. Uh, the pro there's two problems with that, though. The first 
is you still lose that that thunderclap of laughter that will happen in time uh, that you get when you've got that mass of people uh, or the the gasp uh, of a moment of reveal. But the the other thing that will happen, and this is why I don't think anything you do with JobKeeper or JobSeeker is going to be enough for the sector, uh, is venues won't survive. And, you know, they've got their own mortgages, they've got their own bills. Unless we find a way that venues can be used commercially within the social distancing rules, we'll end up on the other side of this with a whole lot of artists who've only just made it through, but without venues available to perform. So there, I, I still haven't given up on the push for a, a tailored package. I, I don't believe the government understands the enormity of it. And while I've always argued it from that sort of cultural, almost spiritual um, perspective, I'm now just pleading with the government that, you know, we are talking about a $111 billion industry. We are talking about hundreds of thousands of workers and how strong we are on the other side will be determined by what we do now. What would you suggest people do to try and get that message through to the government? We've heard that message. We know it. And while I love getting emails from people, I'm in furious agreement with them about it. So what what advice would you give people who are, you know, have got the energy to really push this government as much as we are? There will be a series of rolling campaigns. The biggest one at the moment is from Mia. Uh, it's still got a few days to run. So if anyone gets onto the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance, or you may have already seen on social media, The Great Australian Binge, uh, it's not just a fun thing of talking about what programs you'd like to binge on. It's for the very specific reason, as well as building a community to put pressure on the government on this issue. Uh, there'll be other, I've held off some of my campaigns while that Mia one is running because uh, I don't want them to cross over each other. Effectively, it's it's old school community agitation. Uh, we just have to use every single pressure point uh, until, until they crack, uh, because the alternative is unthinkable. Uh, and so, yeah, the Mia campaign is the one right now people should engage with, but with all of it, it's just also true, as I said right at the start. Some of these things I think you can only truly fix with a change of government. And I wish that were not the case, not because I don't want to change a government, but because there won't be an election inside the next 12 months and we need change now. Yeah. And we'll put the link to the Mayor campaign in the comments on on uh, this post. Oh, fantastic. And we'll also put up... And we'll put up the link for um, Support Act as well. Um, now, someone is thinking very positively about the future on our behalf, and I'm just trying to find this message. And their their question is, um, will Labor consider, re it's from Peter Kennard, will Labor consider reinstating the arts as a dedicated single portfolio and develop an arts policy? Well, there's a, I said there wasn't going to be a Dorothy Dixer, but there it is. <laughs> well, single portfolio, I'll tell you, no matter what portfolio I've got, I'm, I'm continuing to beg to hold the arts portfolio. Um, so for some time, unless, unless there's a coup against me, uh, 
you've got me. Uh, the word, the arts, should always have been kept in the title of the department. Um, that was, well, it said, it said more than we wanted to hear. Uh, I guess it was probably an honest statement as to where the government was up to. Uh, but, you know, the, the arts, there is so much identity wound up in it. I, you know, you don't find many governments in the world that fail to have a department uh, with the word arts or culture in its title. And I never suspected Australia would be one of the countries on that list, but now we are. Mm. Yeah, indeed. Um, now, Sean's just posted, don't forget the benevolent funds. We'll we'll put in a bunch of those links too. And Yeah, the, act, know, one, the Actors Benevolent Funds as well. Yeah. Fund. One of the things we're doing at a really practical level, which is not going to translate into massive windfalls for musicians in the electorate of Macquarie, but but if they're on Spotify, we've got our Macquarie mixtape, our Spotify Macquarie mixtape might mean a few cents here and there. Uh, so if there are musicians who are following us on this feed and you haven't sent us, if you're from the Blue Mountains or the Hawkesbury, you can be born and bred here, you can have moved here, you've got to have a mountains connection, um, please send us your, um, your the name of your your band or your group or you as an individual and the track you'd like us to include and if there are emerging artists and you're not on spotify we don't want them to be left out either so there's a youtube playlist a macquarie playlist um, that we're going to share on youtube that's just something practical we have so much talent in this electorate um i think we've got more talent than any other electorate of course but others will beg to differ uh, we want to get the word out about macquarie uh, the Macquarie musicians. Uh, no, so no, send me, send me the link and I'll, I'll I'll share that and tweet it out as well, Susan. Yeah, it sounds good. Now, um, I'm just double checking. Um, I'm conscious of time. Look, I'll look can at I just Virginia raise one issue that we never got, one issue that we never got to, yeah. if that's okay? Yeah, go for it. I'll be I'll be quick. Uh, yeah, quotas. No, good. Quotas on commercial TV. Um, yeah, because you. most of what we've spoken about so far have been areas where we wanted the government to act and the government hasn't, or they haven't gone as far as we wanted. Quotas is the one area where they have acted and they've taken it in the wrong direction. Now, it's true at the moment, commercial TV, they're losing a lot of revenue. They are going through a difficult time. Uh, but instead of coming up with a package to help commercial TV through, they took the one thing on the commercial TV wish list, which hurts artists, uh, which was to get rid of the Australian content quota for new drama and for children's. Uh, now, you know, drama is not a just-in-time exercise. It's not like the news where it's either live or a few minutes after that it's, it's going to air. There was enough new Australian drama sitting on the shelf that they had no reason whatsoever to make that rule change on content quotas. And in any of your advocacy, you know, we would not have Australian drama without these quotas to the extent that we have. It, it just never would have taken off the way it did. And you can go back to how much Australian content we had before the quotas started, and the figures are infinitesimally small. So as part of any campaign, it's not only about dollars and funding for support, which is critically important, 
but we also need to make sure that what they've snuck through during a crisis that will hurt the Australian screen industry does not become a permanent mistake. So I think there's a real risk that that's why they've done it. Yeah, and the, given the international agreements we've got, once quotas are fully taken away, they're impossible to withdraw, uh, aren't they, because of, of, you know, global agreements. And, it, and I, I think the, the immediate uh, focus on survival meant that that announcement, the real ramifications of it, haven't been appreciated more widely. Um, but we'll yeah. obviously continue to, to raise that. Uh, now, I think we've got time for a, a, a quick performance. Um, someone said, we can't finish without Tony playing something. Oh, so, no, are you serious about that? I'm serious. I'm serious. Can you just give us a few? Can you just give us a few um, bars of something that you've been ripping? It's so an acoustic guitar. Oh, what is the purpose? Of a, what's the purpose of a shadow minister doing something live if you can't put them on the spot? So do I do? Do I do the? That was the one I did the oi oi to. That was the ACDC. I don't know if you can even hear me when I'm playing. We can hear a little, we can hear a bit, but yes, you're going to have to play loud. And everyone's going to be this quiet. Is that working at all? Yep, it's working. <laughs> I didn't even get a plectrum. I've just got my fingertips. So it's, I'm sorry. I love it. But it I is, love it. I will say, it's Cole Clark. It's an Australian made sustainable timber blackwood guitar. Beautiful. Uh, and they make and them in we Victoria. Need, <laughs> uh, and we want, we want musicians to be able to keep buying guitars so our beautiful guitar makers can, can keep earning a living too. That's right. But if I prove nothing else in that unexpected moment, I prove the difference between someone where it's a hobby and someone where it's a career. <laughs> Now, this might be something that makes history for those watching. This might be the last time Tony Burke ever agrees to do something live with me <laughs> because I'd like to put him on the spot. So, Tony, thank you. Um, look, where uh, what will happen from here on? There are probably more questions that are coming in that we haven't been able to get to, but anything that comes up, as always, I'll be raising it with you. Uh, we'll be talking about where do we take this and Tony's got my full support in pushing as hard as we can to make sure that all the creatives, and for me that's the, you know, big collective noun, that all the creatives are, um, you know, given a fair go at what is a really difficult time. And now, Jax, yeah, call us. Could. Jack's saying, yes, if you've got questions, call us. People know, you all know how to get me. You can phone, you can email, you can uh, even Facebook message me uh, and, and we will get back to you with the answers, um, especially if you've got a really current issue that you're trying to find your way around and the complex structures that are in place are not making it easy. So, Tony, thank you very much. I'm sorry I can't say to everyone, give him a round of applause, uh, but Thanks for your time and giving up your evening. And let's just keep working to make sure the arts thrives in this country. Thanks, Susan. And thanks for your passion on all of this. It, it meant a lot that you were the one up in the parliament giving a local example of an artist, which I think really brought it home in question time. You could, you could see the moment you personalised it to someone in your area, 
uh, it was a question they didn't want to answer. And that sort of pressure can only help. Yeah, I'll keep on helping as much as I can. All right, thank you, everybody. Uh, and that's a wrap. Yeah.